Welcome to the Ideas That Change the World podcast with Rabbi Manus Friedman, where we make sure your life will be changed for the better, one idea at a time. Rabbi Friedman is the number one voice of clarity on moral and social issues. So what are we waiting for? Let's go change the world. There is so much we can do to make this world a kind of better, happier place. There is so much we can do to change the world. If you want to support It's Good to Know and the work of Rabbi Manus Friedman, please visit itsgoodtoknow.org forward slash support to join the community. When God created the world out of nothing, he had to produce, he had to invent, he had to create existence. Nothing existed. He had to make things exist. What does it mean that something exists? What does it mean this is? It means it occupies space. To exist means to occupy space. That's the scientific definition. Everything in this universe exists because it takes up space. If it doesn't take up space, it doesn't exist. Even a thought in your head takes up space. That's why when you're thinking, you are, your mind is occupied. An emotion takes up space, your heart is full. Of course, it's emotional space, which means when you have an emotion, another emotion cannot come into that same space. When you have a thought in your head, you can't have another thought in that same space. You have a book on the shelf, you can't put another book in that place. The book occupies its space. So everything shares the same existence. Water, fire, stones, thoughts, feelings, everything exists by this definition. It occupies space. Another thing about existence is that it has many conditions. To exist, you have many conditions. A person has enough to eat, enough to drink, had a good night's sleep, has a secure home, a roof over his head, has friends, a support system. He has everything. And what does that result in? An existence. In order to exist, you have to eat, you have to drink, you need a house, you need clothing, you need security, you need friends, you need... And when you have all of that, you exist, which means you continue to take up space. Then God gave all existing things a life. The life of fire is not the same as the life of water, although they exist the same way. Life means the effect you have on your surrounding, the contribution you make to the rest of the world. That's life. The contribution of fire, it gives warmth, light, makes things come apart. The life of water, it makes things grow, keeps things cool, and makes things stick together. That's its life. The life of a stone, it gives stability. A house made out of stone is stronger than a house made out of straw, as we all know from non-kosher sources. (laughs) (laughs) A human being exists and has a life. 
Only the human being is conscious of his life. It's not automatic and instinctive, it's conscious. Now sometimes there's a conflict between my existence and my life. Because some things are better for my existence, not so good for my life. Some things are good for my life, not so good for my existence. For example, the fact that you're all here in this room. If I was here alone, I would have the whole room to myself. And my existence would be rather large. This would be my space. But you come into the room and you destroy it. You ruin my existence. Because, <laughs> you know, how much existence can you have if you're sharing the space with a hundred people? So I hate you. <laughs> it's not nice what you're doing to my existence. On the other hand, I'm really glad you're here because speaking to an empty room is not a life. So the fact that you're here, my life is better. But the fact that you're here, my existence is ruined. And we're not even married. Can you imagine what marriage is? In the vows under the chuppah, we need to be a little more specific. We need to spell it out. When a man marries a woman, or a woman marries a man, it should be very clear, it should be explicitly stated, you are my chosen one. Of all the people in the world, of all the possibilities in the world, I choose you to be the one person who will ruin my existence. <laughs> I don't want anybody else ever to ruin my existence. <laughs> because what happens, people get married, and two weeks later, the guy is complaining, I feel a little cramped. <laughs> I, need, I need room. I'm suffocating. So, ah, you see, I should have spelled it out. The vows have to be more specific. Actually, there's a comedian who says, I never understood why at a wedding the bride wears a bridal gown. Nobody else at the wedding is dressed like the bride. But the groom is wearing a tuxedo like every other guy. They rent it all in the same place. Why is that? He said, I figured it out by listening to the vows. Did you hear the vows that they make? Do you take this man to be your lawfully wedded husband? This man. They don't mention a name. Because if she says no, so okay, fine. Uh, <clears throat> he's dressed. Come. Do you take this man? No. Come on, there's got to be somebody you like. <laughs> See, you've got to be more specific. So sometimes, existing and living are in conflict. What should I do when they're in conflict? Should I sacrifice my existence, or should I sacrifice life? 
Oh, what kind of question is that? Of course you sacrifice existence. Why? Who needs it? You take up space? That's it? You're going to fight over that? If your spouse needs more space, give it away. Humility in Jewish thinking is never deprecation of life. We never entertain the thought that life is meaningless. God forbid. A moment of life is infinitely precious. The humility is humble your existence. You're proud that you take up space? What is that? You have a right to take up space and then demand all sorts of resources just so that you can continue taking up space? Humble it. Don't do that. It deserves to be humbled. It doesn't have any value. So if you, thought, if you think every song is about you, your existence is out of control. You've spread yourself way too far, and you have to occupy every thought. Every song has to be about you. Rein it in. Too much. In fact, that's what depression is. You see, existing is a little bit depressing by its very nature. It's depressing and it's embarrassing. So, uh, what have you been doing lately? Taking up space. I do it very well. Nobody takes up space like I do. It's embarrassing. Like a lump on the log. And by the way, let's spell it out. What does it mean, I take up space? It means you can't come into my space. Get out of my seat. I was here first. This town ain't big enough for the two of us. You know who said that? Cain said that to Abel. <laughs> there were two human beings in the whole world, and they said, no, no. It's either me or you. One of us got to go. It's embarrassing. And it's a little depressing because it's so, it's so burdensome. Just, just to exist. You got to eat. You got to sleep. And if you don't eat the right foods, and if you don't drink the right things, and if you don't sleep on your left side, on your right side, with your head elevated on a sleep mattress, on an air mattress. Oh, God, this is so burdensome. So depression means if you add weight to your existence by worrying about it, by fighting over it, by, by making it important, you're making it heavier. And at some point, your existence becomes so heavy that you can't carry it anymore. And your very existence crushes you like a ton of bricks. And you can't make a phone call. And you can't get out of bed. And you, your existence is way too heavy. The solution is live. Put energy into living, not into existing. It's a seesaw. It's an amazing thing. When you put energy into living, you don't need to put so much energy into existing. When you put energy into your existence, you have no energy for life. And that's why it's often very helpful when a person is depressed 
to simply say to them, stop kvetching. Find somebody who has real problems and help them. And that is so curing. It's good. So in that seesaw, we should always sacrifice the existence in favor of the life. In simple words, existing means I have needs. Life means, do you have any needs? Can I be helpful to you? Existing means my needs. Life means who needs me? What am I needed for? What effect, what contribution can I make outside of myself? It's amazing that during a plague, when everybody's getting sick, the doctor doesn't get sick. He forgets to eat. He doesn't need to eat. He doesn't sleep. He goes around the clock. He doesn't even need to sit down. And he thinks he's Superman. The reason he doesn't get sick and the reason he doesn't need to rest is because his life, his contribution, what is needed of him and who needs him is so clear and so real and so urgent that he is so fully alive that his existence pretty much takes care of itself. But when the plague is over, <laughs> he's in trouble. When you're alive, your existence is not that heavy. The previous Rebbe said, what does love feel like? All, all the poets have been trying forever to describe love. The Friedrich Rebbe, the previous Rebbe said, love is like this. You're walking down the street burdened with your problems. Heavy, heavy. You're dragging your feet because you got so many problems and they're so heavy. And then, without, without expecting, you meet somebody you love. Your burdens are not so heavy. Your burdens lighten up. It's fine. Because you met somebody you love. Life is buoyant. It carries you. Existence is dead weight. You have to carry it. And it gets heavy. So the solution is, choose life. This is the secret to our survival. The other nations that made a vast noise, what did they want? What were they trying to accomplish? They wanted to guarantee their own existence. That the sun should never set on their empire. So they built these fortified cities, they created these huge armies, they amassed great wealth to guarantee their continued existence. And they're gone. Don't exist at all. I was in Rome <clears throat> trying to get to the airport. And if you've been there, you know the pedestrians don't let cars move. So the, the, the taxi is sitting there stuck, not in traffic, but in, in pedestrians. So I said to the taxi driver, I said, you know, these Romans are going to make me miss my flight. He says, these are not Romans. There are no Romans. The only people who are still here from those days are the Jews. <laughs> That's so true. 
The Romans are gone. There are no Romans. Why? Because they tried so hard to exist that they killed themselves. We had a different history. Remember in the Torah it says that just before the Jews entered the promised land, Moshe gave them a pep talk. Remember the pep talk? He said, let me tell you what lies ahead. You're going to come into the land, you're going to get comfortable, and you're going to get thrown out. <laughs> you're going to be scattered to the four corners of the earth. You'll be diminished to a fraction of your number. You will be unwelcome guests in other people's countries. They will pursue you. They will kill you. They will torture you. You're going to be starving. You're going to be confused. You won't know what tomorrow brings. And the people said, uh, is there a point to this? What are you telling us? And Moshe said, forget about existence. Live. Focus on, be busy living, because an existence you're not going to have. Don't even think about it. So that's what our history has been. We barely exist. But we are so alive. In the times when our existence was literally down to the final hair, thread, we produced the greatest saints, the greatest tzaddikim, the greatest scholars, the greatest books, the greatest social structures, charitable organizations. We were so alive, and we barely existed. Even today, we barely exist. Ask any member in the United Nations, have you ever heard of a Jewish state in the Middle East? <laughs> Never heard of it. It's not on the map. It doesn't exist. What do they talk about every day at the United Nations? How much trouble the Jews are causing. How Israel is messing everything up. For a nation that doesn't exist, we're pretty loud. But that's been our history. So you see, if you don't put a lot of energy into your existence, but you're busy living, the existence somehow just takes care of itself. This is why people have been asking for 5,000 years, why are we here? See, every human being with a little bit of sensitivity is embarrassed by their own existence. I mean, this is it. I take up space. <laughs> That's it. There's got to be more to it than that. There must be. I take up space, then I make demands. Give me food, give me this, give me that. I need, I need, I deserve, I have to have. And then what? And then I can take up space. Now, God, this is embarrassing. So every decent human being asks, why are we here? Which in different words is, why do I exist? And we ask that question because existing doesn't justify itself. It doesn't add up to anything. <laughs> like the bumper sticker, life stinks and then you die. But the mistake is, don't confuse existence with life. The bumper sticker should say, existence stinks. Life never stinks. And that's where we get really confused when instead of asking, why are we here, we ask, what is the purpose of life? Oh, you're confused. 
The question is, what is the purpose of existence? The answer is life. Life is the answer, not the question. Don't get confused. So what does it mean, I love you, but I don't like you? Oh, it's so obvious. I love you because you're giving me a life. I don't like you because you've ruined my existence. <laughs> so, what, so, so how do we resolve that? Very simple. Ruin my existence. Go right ahead. I'll be busy living. It's a Jewish thing. I'll be busy living. What is death? Life does not die. That's an oxymoron. It's like salt can't go bad. <laughs> well, like the comedian says, how does sour cream go bad? <laughs> life can't go, life can't die. Life lives, that's what it is. Life is alive. Dead is dead. Death means a person had a life and an existence, and the existence ended. Doesn't take up space anymore, does not need to eat, doesn't need to drink. So what's left? Life. Life continues. It doesn't know what else to do. It only has one talent. Life knows how to live, that's it. So when a person's existence is over, his life is relieved. Now I don't have to share my energy. Now I don't have to go on this, on this seesaw of, should, should, should I put my energy in my existence? Should I try living? Now it's pure life. The only problem is that life is not here. Because to be here, you have to take up space. So where is this life? In the, in the world of life. This earth, the physical plane, is the world of existence. To be here, you have to exist and take up space. Oy, this is what's wrong with teenagers. <laughs> if you ask any teenager anywhere in the world, what are you angry about? And they'll tell you. They all say exactly the same words in every language in the world. My mother ruined my whole life. It's ruined. My whole, my whole life. But that's ridiculous. First of all, life can't be ruined. Life can't be ruined. Life only comes in one flavor, and that's delicious. Existence can be ruined. I mean, people have terrible existences, very sad, very painful. And some people have a very comfortable existence. But life only comes in one flavor. You can't ruin life. Life means whatever is going on and whatever your existence might be, you have an opportunity to make a difference, to make a contribution, to do something. How can you ruin that? The second reason that mothers don't ruin teenagers' lives is because teenagers don't have a life. <laughs> teenagers have an existence, and it's not even theirs. Like this teenage girl who says, 
I can't believe it. My mother went into my room. <laughs> Your room? What, are you paying rent? It's not your room. It's a room your mother lets you sleep in. My mother went through my things. Your things? Nothing there belongs to you. See, but they get confused. Instead of saying, my mother ruined my whole life, they should be saying, my mother ruined my whole existence. And that's true. <laughs> Mothers ruin your existence. And not maliciously, they can't help it. When an important guy who owns the whole town or the whole island, it's all his space. He is the king. He is the ruler. He is top honcho. And he's sitting at the most important meeting conducting the whole world. His existence is enormous. And his mother walks in. <laughs> I know, I know. Where does my existence come from? You carried me for nine months. and you, I know, you're right. I owe you my existence. Mothers ruin your existence. You see, this is why you have to honor your mother. Honoring parents, literally, the mitzvah, one of the Ten Commandments, how do you fulfill that mitzvah? By adoring them? By sending them a card on Mother's Day? You fulfill the mitzvah of honoring parents by doing menial tasks for them so that they don't have to do it. You carry their bags. You bring the food to the table. You ease their burden and make their existence easier by giving up a little of your existence. So in the Ten Commandments, God says, honor your father and mother and you will live. When you give up a little of your existence for somebody else's existence, now you're starting to have a life. Now you're alive. When you take a dollar bill that's good for your existence and you give it to someone who needs it more to help with their existence, what do you have? Life. Now you're alive. Shabbos. God tells us six days of the week you should work, but on the seventh day do no labor. Which means basically, for six days of the week, do whatever you need to do to make your existence easier. If it's broken, fix it. If it's raw, cook it. <laughs> if it's cold, heat it up. If it's hot, cool it down. Make your existence easier, but one day out of the, out of the week. One day out of the week. Stop. Leave your existence alone. It is what it is. It's fine. If you take it too seriously, if you go around the year always working and worrying about your existence, you're going to get depressed. So one day out of the week, focus on life by leaving your existence alone. Whatever you bought before Shabbos, that's what you have. You didn't buy it, you don't have it. Whatever got cooked, that's what you have. You didn't cook it, so fine.
Your existence is fine. It really is. Even when it's minimal. Even when Jews lived in a ghetto, when Jews lived in poverty, when Jews... But Shabbos, I got no problems. I'm content with my existence. It's fine. We focus on life. Why did God create the world? In the very simple way of putting it, God's perfection, when we say God is perfect, he's infinite, he's, we're talking about his existence. He always was and he always will be and he occupies all the space. It's all his. But like the husband, he came to us at Mount Sinai and said, I can exist without you. I'm really good at it. I have an infinite existence. I existed infinitely before you. I will exist infinitely after you. My existence is great. But without you, what's the point? Existence without a life? The existence itself demands a purpose, a content. And the more perfect you are, the more you need a life to justify all that perfection. In some way, affluent people, successful people, are more likely to get depressed than people in third world countries. Because when your existence is fine, then it hits you like, what for? So what? Now what? And if you don't ask it, your children will ask it. Okay, fine, so there's a black comedian who says, you white people, you got too much food. You have so much food, you're becoming allergic to it. He says, in the ghetto, ain't nobody lactose intolerant. <laughs> and now you're trying to tell us that red meat will kill us? Oh no, red meat we eat. Green meat kills us. <laughs> People who are still trying to improve their existence don't get depressed. People whose existence is already fine, now they have to face the question. And, and, and so, that's what a midlife crisis is. You're going along, doing fine, you're halfway there, and going to crisis. What is that all about? When you get halfway there, it means that pretty much your existence is going to be what it is. If you hadn't made your first million by now, you're not going to make a million. So your existence kind of uh, stops being a challenge. And then you have to figure out, what's my life? Now I've got to get a life. This is why we say Wachayim. You know what happens when we drink? I mean, you might have read about it. <laughs> when people drink and get drunk, their existence relaxes. They say your inhibitions relax. Oh, I hope not. Your existence relaxes. And this is factual, this is true, because how do you know if somebody is drunk? if they're still standing up. 
You know, because when he wants to talk to you sober, he stands over here in America. In South America, it's different. South America, they stand here. But when they get drunk, they stand here. And you back away, and they follow you. <laughs> now you know he's drunk, because he doesn't take up space. He's lost his sense of space. You go to buy a sofa, and the salesperson says to you, here's a nice sofa, this will seat four people comfortably. It's not enough information. It will seat four sober people comfortably. It will also seat nine drunk people comfortably. Because drunk people don't take up space. Isn't that a fact? Would it be cute to see nine drunk guys on a sofa sober up at the same moment? <laughs> drunk people don't take up space. Because it relaxes your existence. That's why you never drink when you're in a bad mood. If you're not excited about life, don't drink. That's the worst thing you can do. Because if you're not excited about life, all you have is your existence. You don't want to relax it. Because then you're left with nothing. On Purim, we assume you're in a good mood. Then you can have a few drinks. At a wedding, if you're enjoying it, then you can have a few drinks. When you're excited about life, then you want your existence to leave you alone so that you can celebrate life fully. So you say l'chaim, meaning not, I don't want to die. You're saying to life rather than existence. So I am going to drink this because I'm excited about life. L'chaim. Now we'll understand the most powerful words in a very simple, well-known song, but we never appreciated how meaningful it is. If you want to be happy, don't look for gimmicks. Life is happy. Existence is not. You want happiness? Live. You don't have to do anything to make yourself happy. Live. Life is happy. Existence, even if it's really good, is somewhat depressing. The Jews have lived this secret for all of our history. So if you want to describe the Jewish nation in one word and get right to the heart of what makes us really unique, you know the song. Am Yisrael. If you want to describe Am Yisrael, you want to say, what is the Jewish people? It's one tiny word. L'chaim. We choose life. And because we choose life over existence, we will exist forever. Because we don't care. <laughs> we don't care about our existence. We're busy living. And life cannot die. Make sense? L'chaim.
We are now moving forward to the questions and answers section, and you of course are welcome to ask any questions related to the topic of happiness, as well as any Jewish topics about Jewish faith or any Jewish topics, with the exception of American politics. Rabbi, why does Hashem make it so hard for people to be happy? Why, why? Why do people find it so hard to be when I came to Minnesota, I live in Minnesota, for the last 40-some years. I don't remember how it happened, but early on, I got invited to speak at the Lutheran Seminary, where they train Lutheran ministers. And then from there, I got invited to speak at the Baptist Seminary, where they train Baptists. And it's, it's, it's really been very, very good. They're very respectful. They really want to learn. They really want to know. It's, it's amazing. The world has changed. They're not out to convert us. They really want to know. So it's all you know, really very nice. One time, the minister, the, the teacher of the class, after I finished speaking about what Judaism is, he said, so, so why do you suffer so much? Now, Jews, when we get together, we love to talk about how we suffer. <laughs> it's our favorite topic. How was your week? Not good. You call that not good? <laughs> I ran my car into a tree. <laughs> how far up the tree? <laughs> my week was much worse than that. And we love it. We love. Kvetching is such a Jewish pastime. But for some reason, when this minister asked, why do you suffer, it, it, it didn't feel good. Like, what was he suggesting? What was he hinting at? You know, I don't like it. So I said, we? We suffer? What gives you that impression? He says, oh, come on. Throughout all of history, you've always suffered. I said, oh, you mean throughout history, we've always been there. See, the Romans didn't suffer. They just died quietly. <laughs> We've been around for a long time. I mean, in 4,000 years, you, you get a lot of headaches. <laughs> so it's not that we suffer more. We just live longer. <laughs> and besides, how many holidays do you have on your calendar? Two? <laughs> and one of them celebrates his death. Have you seen our calendar? <laughs> I think we're having much more fun. We have holidays at the drop of a hat. It's not really hard to be happy. We just can't think of a good reason <laughs> to give up quetching. To really be happy means you'll never quetch again. We can't get our, we can't wrap our minds around that. Never quetch again. What kind of life is that? <laughs> so the truth is that being unhappy makes us happy. <laughs> the reason we're having a hard time being happy is because we take things too literally. You didn't get the job you applied for? Oh, then life must be bad. You must be bad. God must hate you. 
He's out to get you. He's picking on you. <laughs> we take things too literally. Existence comes and goes. It's up, it's down, it's good, it's bad, it's hard, it's easy. We take it too seriously. We have to take life seriously. So when a kid starts getting upset because his toy broke, don't promise him a new toy. You have such a fantastic opportunity now to tell him the difference between existence and living. Use it. We tell children so little about life, and we make them so good at existing. In a secular society, what can we teach children about life? Nothing. We teach them about existing, how to cross the street, how to ride a bike, how to brush your teeth, how to avoid strangers, how to get good grades in school so that you get into a good college, so that you get a good job, so that you have bling. It's all existence. What do we ever tell children about life? So when a child is hysterical about a paper cut, it's such a good opportunity. There's existing, there's living. We take our existence so seriously that it drains our life away. I'm not saying you should tell a child it's no big deal, get, you know, get over it. But explain it. There are concerns about existence. There are concerns about life. Which one is more important? I have a question here from one of the congregants. Hmm. Um, we understand that giving up existence is the secret you know, for happiness. But why did God make it, make it so hard? There's such a long list of diseases, illnesses, sufferings, and persecutions, and hunger. Uh, why would God you know, create a world in which you always have to struggle? Uh, are in your existence. Mm. There are problems in the world. This is an unholy world. This is an unfixed world. And our job is to fix it. When there are problems, when there are difficulties, when there are obstacles, it's not meant to, dis to discourage us or to dishearten us. It's simply, that's the job. This is a world that needs fixing, and we can fix it. So we're never surprised that the world has another problem we didn't know about. This is a world that is in disrepair, and we are here to fix it. So again, the difference between existing and living, are you part of the natural disaster, or are you the solution to that disaster? When something terrible happens to our existence, it should inspire us to dig deeper into life and come up with a solution to even this problem. Let me just give you a quick um, example. When I, when I came to Minnesota, there, were, there was already a, a Chabad rabbi there, and he invited me to come help him in his work. The synagogue, the one synagogue that existed in St. Paul, was um, falling apart. It was fading. 
there were no young people. And there was just a, barely a minion of elderly folk who have been devoted to the synagogue for all their lives and so on. We have a custom that one Shabbos out of four, the Shabbos before the new month, we recite the entire Psalms, the whole book of Psalms, in the morning on Shabbos. Now, it's nice to do this with a minion. So the two of us were sitting thinking, who could we invite to join us to say the entire Tehillim, the entire Psalms? There were two brothers there from Poland, delightful human beings, just full of life, full of enthusiasm. They would walk to the hospital every Shabbos to see if there are any Jewish patients that they can... And it's, it's Minnesota. It's about a three-mile walk, but it's Minnesota. And they would go every Shabbos through the thickest snows, the coldest temperatures. So we figured, these two guys, let's ask them. I went over to one of the brothers, Yidl. I said, Yidl, would you join us one week out of four to say the entire Tehillim on Shabbos? He says, only one week out of four? I said, yeah, yeah, only one week. He says, why? Why only one week? My brother and I, we say the entire Psalms every Shabbos. I must have looked surprised because he explained. He said, we were in Auschwitz together when the camp was liberated. We were there for three years. The Russians came in and liberated the camp. And they told us that we we're free to go home. They had no idea what they were saying. We were standing at the open gates of the concentration camp, and we had no place to go. There was no home. Our shtetl was gone, families gone. We were terrified we wanted to stay in the concentration camp, because we didn't know anything else. So we were standing there completely lost when this Polish woman came towards us with a basket of bread and handed us a fresh loaf of bread. And we promised each other that for this kindness that God had shown us, we would say the entire Psalms every Shabbos. And that's what we've done ever since. It's awesome. It's mind-boggling. They're standing at the gates of a concentration camp, and they can't get over God's kindness. What does it take to do that? What does it take to be so enthusiastic about life that if life includes a miserable existence, life is still wonderful? Our grandparents were amazing people. The day after the Holocaust, they said, hey, let's get married, have children, raise families. This is amazing. Elie Wiesel confesses that he actually told the Rebbe, the first time he met the Rebbe, he said, I cannot bring children into such a world. And the Rebbe said, you have to get married. And he said, I can't. I cannot bring children into such a dark, miserable world. And in his book, he thanks the Rebbe for pushing him.
getting him to get married and to have children. But look at all the Jews who instinctively, naturally, effortlessly said, okay, that's over. Let's have a family. That is so amazing. They're such heroes. And we have to be careful because we're raising children who can't survive a paper cut. You didn't get me the new iPhone? Life stinks. You ruined my whole life. Whoa, whoa, a little too brittle. <laughs> a little too flimsy. Where is our hold on life? So here's, I, I stop a guy in the street in, in, in New York. I said, would you like to put on film? He says, I, I don't need that. I said, good, so let's put him on. <laughs> he says, I don't need that. I said, I know. That's why you should put him on. Because if you needed it, it would just be more of your existence. All need is, a, first of all, if you need filling, you're weird. <laughs> Of course you don't need it. It's a mitzvah. You know what mitzvah means? Mitzvah means you don't need this. That's what it means. Mitzvah means somebody has a need. Are you available? No, you don't need it. A hungry man asks you for a sandwich and you say, I'm sorry, I don't need this. <laughs> and this is not about you. So when you give a hungry man food, you're doing something you don't need. You're responding to someone else's need. That's a mitzvah. When God says, please, put on tefillin, he needs it. Are you available? Or are you busy with what you need? That's the question, life versus existence. We have to get better at doing things we don't need. That makes us bigger people. That gets us in touch with life so that we can fix the things that are wrong in our existence. But let's not confuse them. Life is never bad. Life is never hard. Existence can be really difficult and it needs fixing. If we become victims of it, then we're not the fixers anymore. We've become part of the problem. Remember Terry Scheibo? Remember that horrible story? The woman in, uh, in Florida, her husband wanted to starve her to death. You remember this? Her ex-husband. She was breathing on her own, but she was pretty much a vegetable. See, he says, stop feeding her. Let her die. And if you remember what the argument was, the argument was her life has lost its quality. There's no quality of life. That is so morally wrong. They did stop feeding her, and they murdered her. They starved her to death, and there was no excuse because her life had not lost its meaning, its quality. Her existence had lost its quality. She didn't have a space of her own. She couldn't eat. She couldn't drink. You had to 
feed her through a tube. But her life? Her life was the effect she was having on the people around her. It was a powerful effect. She had the whole country talking about a moral issue. In fact, who was the governor of Florida then? Nobody knows. But everybody remembers Terry Schiavo. She was not alive. So are you allowed to end someone's life because their existence is bad? That's a dangerous idea, because if that were true, we'd be gone a long time ago. Like even the famous American hero, Patrick Henry, give me liberty or give me death. Are you out of your mind? <laughs> Can you imagine if Jews had that attitude? <laughs> When's the last time we had liberty? <laughs> that is not Jewish thinking. <laughs> liberty, schmiberty, abi <laughs> gesund. You know what I mean? If I am alive with liberty, without liberty, don't scare me. Life is great. Liberty just curtails my existence. So when problems happen, it's not something happening against our lives. It's a new challenge. There are layers of unholiness and of pain in this world, and every new layer is a new challenge. Fix it. Rise to the occasion. Elevate life above the ugliness of existence. If you want to support It's Good to Know in the work of Rabbi Manus Friedman, please visit itsgoodtoknow.org forward slash support to join the community. This is the Ideas That Change the World podcast with Rabbi Manus Friedman, changing your life for the better, one idea at a time. Like it, share it, and leave us a review. Tune in next week for more ideas that change the world.